Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I'm your host, Chris Butler. This time I'm talking about episode 7 of season 1, which is called Stranded. Uh, My plan all along with Timeless Files was to cover all of the first season episodes before season 2 starts. Uh, That is still my plan. So, with the news that season 2 of Timeless starts in the USA on the 11th of March... I will need to pick up the pace a bit. So instead of putting out new episodes on a Tuesday, I'll basically be releasing them as soon as they're done, whichever day of the week that happens to be. The news of the start date and the time slot has certainly caused a lot of comment and debate among the fans online. I'm inclined to see it all as a good thing at this point. I think we are going to get the show that we love, and we're getting it soon. And in terms of its renewal hopes beyond season two, I think there's every reason to be confident. Right then, I'm going to get straight into the episode now. Season one, episode seven, Stranded. Okay, so this week we're off to 1754 for episode seven. The episode starts with Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy running through the woods at night, pursued by French-Canadian soldiers. We later learn that they are 20 miles from Fort Duquesne, which puts us in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in terms of present-day geography. feels a bit like we're joining in partway through an episode. We've missed somehow. I like that they're trying something different here but it is a little bit jarring. Wyatt is complaining that Rufus lit a fire, and that's why they were seen and why they're being chased. They're quickly captured by a lieutenant who turns out to be Louis Coulon de Villiers, who Lucy describes as the only man George Washington ever surrendered to. Uh, We've cut to the following morning when the caption comes up, September 15, 1754. Our heroes are tied up. Coulon thinks they are British spies. And it sounds like he intends to have them hanged. But he tells his men he is leaving for Fort Duquesne and he'll be back the next day and he leaves two men behind to guard these British spies. Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus are bickering with each other. After the events of the previous episode, Wyatt is angry with the others. Apparently they've been searching the woods for three days trying to find Garcia Flynn, unsuccessfully. So Rufus is on edge. He's not an outdoors person, he says. Uh, Lucy looks tired too. Wyatt is a trained soldier though. He makes short work of the two guards in a brief fight. Uh, One of the guards is killed. Not sure about the other one. He's subdued anyway. And they escape. Lucy gives us a quick history lesson on the French and Indian War. Rufus makes a sarcastic comment about how the future would be if the French had won that war. Seems out of character for him and for the show, actually. But at least Lucy reacts to show that she disapproves. Um, We find out later that Lucy speaks French well, so maybe she has a more positive attitude towards the French. Anyway, having freed themselves, they make their way back to the lifeboat. 
but when they get there they find two of Flynn's men climbing over the time machine planting C4 explosives on it. Wyatt manages to shoot one of the men but the other fires a bullet at the lifeboat and detonates one of the explosives and then flees. Rufus Wyatt and Lucy chase after the man. Rufus says if the lifeboat is damaged then Flynn's mothership is their only other chance to get home. Uh, the man they're chasing runs straight to the mothership but climbs inside before Wyatt can stop him. Wyatt climbs on the outside of the mothership and tries to shoot his way in. Rufus warns him he must jump clear or he'll be killed when the mothership jumps. So Wyatt does jump clear, the mothership vanishes and they realise they're trapped with no way home. Meanwhile, Coulon discovers the dead men. He calls the dead soldier my boy as if he was Coulon's son, but I don't think that can be right historically. Anyway, it's not important to the story here. What matters is that Coulon immediately sets out to recapture the British spies. So Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus are stranded, as per the episode title. Wyatt guesses that they were lured to 1754 specifically so that Flynn could trap them there, uh, not to change history as they had supposed, because that's his usual intent. So now they're stranded and they have Coulon and his men searching for them. While Rufus is investigating whether he can repair the lifeboat, Wyatt and Lucy search the body of Flynn's man, but they find nothing useful to them. Uh, following up on the events of the previous episode, Lucy apologises again for not telling Wyatt about her journal, the one in Flynn's possession. He says, well, what about your deal with Agent Christopher to get Amy back? When was she going to tell him about that? And why was there no mention of Wyatt's wife in that deal? Lucy says that's unfair. It's no secret that she is fighting for her sister Amy. And Wyatt, of all people, should know that. But Wyatt seems too angry to accept this, and Lucy just looks exasperated with him. They rejoin Rufus. He says there is damaged circuitry in the lifeboat. He could steal some from the nav system but he's still short of a couple of capacitors. Lucy says, how would you make those in 1754? At first he says, well, you can't. Normally you'd go to Radio Shack. But then he thinks about it some more and he says he'd need some foil or failing that he could hammer some tin or copper thinly. He'd also need salt, a couple of glass jars, and a forge, and to learn to be a blacksmith. And the hard part is that if he steals the parts from the nav system, then he won't be able to control where they land after the time jump. But then he seems to see a possibility and starts talking about a protocol. And we'll learn more about what that is shortly. The credits are coming up on screen at this point. This episode is written by Arika Lisan Mitman. She will also write episode 16, the season one finale episode of Timeless. And she has a co-executive producer credit on a stack of the episodes. She's also written for TV series like Elementary, Dexter and Medium. The episode is directed by Holly Dale. 
It is her only directing work on Timeless so far. She has a long list of credits on other shows, including The X-Files, SWAT and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's nice to see a female writer-director team on this episode. We cut to Mason Industries. Mason tells Agent Christopher that Flynn's mothership arrived back in the present three hours ago and it is currently in Mexico City. But if Flynn jumps to anywhere in the past right now, there'll be no one to stop him. Her boss, Patrick Ramsey, last seen in episode five, says he will get on it, by which I presume he means that he will try to get a team sent to Mexico City. Giamari is on the edge of panic, thinking that they may have lost the team, and Rufus in particular. We know that Rufus and Gia are close, after a fashion. Mason tells her to get her head in the game. This is why they have the protocol, he tells her, and she immediately knows what that means. Gia only has a couple of scenes in the first half of this episode, but it's building up to something. I think there is a strong argument that this episode is all about Rufus and Gia, and I'll come back to that later. Back in 1754, Wyatt is digging a hole. Rufus shows them a container made of non-biodegradable polyethylene and explains that he intends to send a message to Connor by burying it inside the container. Then the idea is that Connor will fly to this spot in the present day and dig it up. Lucy says they're in Pittsburgh and who knows what will happen to this spot in 260 years. Rufus says that's why they need to dig deep. Back to Connor, he gets a call from Benjamin Cahill, the Rittenhouse man. This is the man who we now presume to be Lucy's biological father, after that shock reveal at the end of the previous episode. He complains that Rittenhouse bankrolled the time machine that was stolen by terrorists, and now they've lost the lifeboat as well, and they've lost Lucy. I mentioned in my last podcast that Rittenhouse took a big risk by funding the development of time travel. Cahill seems to be saying here that they did not expect these losses. So I guess Flynn's actions weren't anticipated by Rittenhouse. Maybe they didn't see the dangers. Connor says he's handling it. And he picks up on the fact that Cahill mentions Lucy rather than Wyatt or Rufus. Connor questions why Lucy is on the team when she is not the world's most renowned historian. So the implication is that Rittenhouse, or Cahill himself, wanted Lucy on the team. I'm being careful in these podcasts not to talk about events in later episodes because part of the enjoyment of looking closely at the story is seeing how it unfolds and how each reveal comes through over the course of the series. Mason says he has a plane to catch and he hangs up. Agent Christopher happens to be nearby and she notices Mason was on the phone and asks him about it. But he dismisses it as a personal call. For the first time she looks suspicious about what Mason's doing. Wyatt is leading the others to Fort Duquesne, which is their only hope of getting the materials they need. 
but the fort is held by the French, so it's going to be a hostile place for them to go to. Rufus almost makes a mistake of eating some poisonous berries, and Wyatt reads him the riot act about that. He says they're not going to make it unless they can count on each other. They evade the French soldiers searching for them, but then they're captured by a Shawnee tribe. They're tied up in a hut of some kind. Lucy says the Shawnee were not friendly to the British. The fact that they haven't been killed yet isn't necessarily a good sign. They'll be waiting for their chief to decide what to do with them. Back in the present day, national security have arrived in Pittsburgh and are attempting to dig up the canister that Rufus buried in 1754. Connor is talking to Gia. He says he's noticed that she and Rufus are close. She says that's just it, they're not. Rufus instant messages her from his desk two feet away rather than speaking to her. Mason says that nevertheless he thinks it would mean a lot to Rufus to know that she was worried about him. We cut back to Rufus and the others. Rufus says he can't help thinking what he wouldn't give for one last and you think he's going to say something very serious and he says chocodile, a Twinkie covered in chocolate. And at last the three of them are laughing together and the ice is broken between them after so much bickering and anger. And he says the other thing he would like to do is to tell Gia how he feels about her. Lucy asks him, how do you feel about her? He says he likes her. They went on a date once, but it was really awkward, and they haven't talked about it since. The group are generally acting like they might well die here. Lucy regrets that she won't have kids. Wyatt says that his wife wanted kids too. Lucy says that she does wish that Wyatt could save his wife. Wyatt says that he does wish Lucy could save Amy. And generally here, the three of them are putting aside their differences and coming back together again. But then the Shawnee return and their chief enters. It turns out to be a woman and another famous historical figure, a Shawnee chief desk called Nonilima. Lucy claims to be Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, and says that Wyatt is her brother and they're here to help. Nonilima knows this is a lie. She says the French said they came to help, but they lied. She says the English are no better. She orders that Lucy and Wyatt are put to death. Rufus she is prepared to let go because she assumes he was forced to accompany the other two. But Rufus petitions for them to be spared. He tells Nonalima that if she's going to kill the others, then she might as well kill him too. He says they aren't meant to be there and all they want to do is go home. He says they didn't force him to do anything, they're his friends. So, swayed by Rufus, she changes her mind and lets all three of them go. Because of Rufus's honour, she says. But she warns them, if she's wrong about him, then she won't spare any of them next time. Back in the present day, the buried canister is found, but it's cracked, and the letter inside is badly decayed and unreadable. They take it back to the lab, though, to see if they can recover anything from it. 
There's a deleted scene on the DVD disc set that appears to sit about here in this episode in which Agent Christopher goes to see Mason. He tells her he's got his whole team working on deciphering Rufus's note. She says she just wants to make sure that he's disclosing all information she might need to know. He assures her he is doing but then gets a phone call and asks if she would mind letting him take it in private, which rather undermines what he just said. In all honesty, the scene seems unusually clunky to my eyes and it doesn't add much to the story, but it does shed a little light on what Agent Christopher does near the end of the episode, which we'll get to later. So back to the episode as broadcast, they managed to recover just two words from the note, death and millennium and they were all wondering whether that gives them any kind of clue at all as to what Rufus was trying to tell them. In 1754 Wyatt takes the uniform of a French soldier killed by the Shawnee thinking that that might help them to gain access at Fort Duquesne. They continue on towards the fort. There's an impressive effect shot of the fort from above when they get there. I'm assuming they didn't build that full set, but I don't actually know. It looks realistic. Lucy's the only one who speaks French, so at the fort she claims that Wyatt was injured in battle and can't speak, and that Rufus is her servant. Rufus supposedly goes to fetch a little food and water for them, but actually goes in search of the supplies that he needs to repair the lifeboat. One of the things he picks up is a metal dinner plate and it took me a while to notice why he needed that. I'll come back to that later. He sees a blacksmith walking away and takes his chance to use the blacksmith's furnace. He breaks open a metal flask of some kind that he's found and he beats it flat to get the thin strip of foil that he needs. The Fort Doctor corners Wyatt and offers various ridiculous remedies for his injured throat, including inserting mercury rectally. Lucy quite reasonably tells Wyatt to hit him, which he does. This is inside the Doctor's tent, so it's not witnessed, but they're pushing their luck by staying at the fort for so long. They find Rufus again, but Louis Coulon has arrived at the fort and the alarm goes out. They have to scale the wall at the back of the fort and escape just in time. They head back to the lifeboat and Rufus gets started on the repairs, but they know they might not have long before the French come after them. For me, I think it's a little bit of a stretch to think that the one thing Rufus would need in this situation is a capacitor. But if I accept that that is what he needed, then it's plausible he could build one. He tells the others that everything depends on Gia and Mason getting his note and helping them to land. Otherwise their chances of landing anywhere safely are somewhere between one in a billion and impossible. Gia and Mason are running out of ideas. Mason tells Gia how he first met Rufus at a science fair in a gang-infested Chicago middle school. Mason was immediately impressed with Rufus and wanted to talk to him 
but Rufus said he had to go and collect his brother. So Mason recognised a genius with a sense of responsibility. Gia says the first time she met Rufus, he recognised the tribble she'd got from Comic-Con. And he told her they would never be friends because she was Star Trek and he was Star Wars. She says any minute now Rufus will be back and bragging like Han Solo. And as she says that, the penny drops for her and she knows exactly what Rufus's note said. They had two words for the note, death and millennium. Death refers to the Death Star and Millennium refers to the Millennium Falcon. Rufus is asking Gia to grab hold of the lifeboat while it's in flight, take control of it and pull it into a landing, just as the Death Star grabbed hold of the Millennium Falcon in Star Wars. Mason asks Gia if she can actually do that. She says, maybe. Back in 1754, and listening to Rufus's side of this, it sounds like he included detailed instructions in his note, but all of that has been lost. He's working on repairs to the lifeboat. That dinner plate he picked up at Fort Duquesne. We see Wyatt nailing that to the hull to patch the hole blown in it when the C4 explosives went off. So that's what Rufus needed the plate for. Wyatt and Lucy know this attempt to get home is a long shot but they agree they have to try it. Then suddenly they're all out of time because the French have found them. They scramble into the lifeboat and fire it up while the French soldiers are firing bullets at it, at them. There's a lovely little moment that is very Star Wars where the lifeboat fails to start up and Rufus has to scramble around the lifeboat, twisting some wiring together and trying again. It's very like one of those moments when the Millennium Falcon fails to jump to light speed at the first attempt. But the second try, the lifeboat does fire up and does make the jump. One of the questions I asked in an earlier podcast is how long does a time jump take from the perspective of the people inside the time machine? From the way this time jump is filmed, the answer seems to be that it takes maybe tens of seconds, but no longer. Mason and Gia see that the lifeboat is in transit. Gia says she's not ready but Mason says they have to grab it now. And what a treat. We get a spectacular crash landing for the lifeboat at Mason Industries. I don't know how much it cost them to stage that landing for a few seconds of film, but it was worth every dollar. It's a real wow moment as the lifeboat crash lands. The three of them stagger out of the lifeboat. Rufus last. Rufus and Gia look at each other awkwardly as usual. Later, after Rufus has got changed, Gia finds him. He's still not really able to tell her how he feels about her, but she takes the initiative and kisses him. Meanwhile, Agent Christopher is speaking to Patrick Ramsey again, and she asks for authorization to carry out surveillance on Mason. She thinks he's hiding something from her, and she wants to know what it is. It's perfectly reasonable for her to be asking for this based on what she's observed of Mason. And we didn't need that cut scene for us to completely get her reasons for this here. I don't think we ever see Patrick Ramsey again in season one. I'll check on this as I rewatch the rest of the series, see if I'm right. 
Later, Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy are sitting in a bar together, drinking, celebrating, making it back. Lucy presents Rufus with a box of Twinkies, which makes them all laugh. Um, based on a tweet I saw from Malcolm Barrett that was improvised after Matt Lanter and Abigail Spencer genuinely surprised Malcolm Barrett with a box of chocodiles. Lucy talks again about the journal. She stresses how realistic it is. She's struggling to believe that it's a fake, but also struggling to understand how she could be helping Flynn in the future. Wyatt tells her if she doesn't want to be the person who wrote that journal, then don't write it. She says that she always believed that things happen for a reason. Wyatt says he never took her for the spiritual type. She says, well, I am. He asks her to take a drink, and afterwards he asks her, did she choose to take the drink, or was it pre-written that she would take it? He says it is always a choice that she makes, and if she's not happy with the future that Flynn has predicted for her, then she should rewrite it. And that's the end of the episode. If it was Flynn's hope that he would be free of Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus by trapping them in the past, that has definitely backfired on him because, if anything, they're in a much better place as a team at the end of this episode than they were at the beginning. I think, regardless of all the running around in 1754 Pennsylvania with the French and the Shawnee, at its heart, this episode is a love story between Rufus and Gia. He hasn't been able to take that leap to tell her how he feels about her. But this time he literally has to take a leap of faith and trust that she will catch him. And she does. I'm not sure this episode particularly stood out for me as a favourite when I first saw it. But watching it again for this podcast, I really enjoyed it, and I kept finding new things in it. It's well worth another look if you feel like re-watching the episode. That's all for Timeless Files this time. Next time I'll be looking at episode 8, Space Race. Until then, all the podcasts so far are available on the site at timelessfiles.podbean.com or in all the usual podcasting places, including iTunes, Stitcher and TuneIn. If you feel like you could give me a good rating on any of those sites, or recommend the podcast to anyone, that would be very much appreciated. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Timeless Files. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. <laughs>